0: election Sunday. And welcome to episode 153 of the DBR podcast. Uh, We just learned a couple hours ago the road to the final four for Duke, your 2019 ACC champions. So we're going to begin there. First, as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, GTHCGTH.com for all your Go to Hell Carolina gear. Also, Bird Campbell for all your business law needs in Florida or Texas. Bird Campbell means business. I am your host this week. I'm Donald. I'm here in D.C., which hopefully... Our team will be at next week as well. Uh, Jason and Sam
1: are also with us. Jason, in Atlanta, hello. Oh, boy. It was a really, really good weekend to be a Blue Devil fan, and it's about to be the most fun time of the year. It
0: sure is. And and let me also bring in Sam Klein. Sam is not – he's heading home to Durham. He's actually – where are you, Sam?
2: I am uh, in the – I'm at Dulles Airport in Washington waiting for my connecting flight home. I'm so sorry, guys, that I missed the show last week. Uh, I know we were we were trying hard for me to figure out how to get on, and I also apologize for any background noise going on here because I am, in fact, standing in an airport. We did have to get this thing out uh, as soon as we could to make sure that folks had this ready to go in the morning because, this, as Jason said, it is one of the most exciting days of the year. Um, I'm such a fair weather fan because I missed last week when everything was horrible, and now I'm back when everything seems <laughs> great again. Uh, Duke, has, Duke has, the greatest, has the greatest player in college basketball history back on the team and healthy, and, uh, and things, look, things are fun, and, and luckily enough, on the previous flight that I was on, I had access to TV, so I was able to watch the entire selection show and take notes and the whole thing, so I am fresh off the plane waiting for another plane, and I am ready to rock.
1: All right. Now boarding. I, I, now, now boarding flight number I, I, one. Flight number one to Minneapolis. Oh no. Oh
0: no. <laughs> Minneapolis. <laughs> oh no. I, I definitely had to navigate the hell that was Dulles earlier today. So I feel your pain. But you know what? Since we only have you for a little bit, let's jump right into it with the NCAA tournament bracket. Duke, as everyone knows by now, selected as the number one overall seed. They will play in the East Regional, which will be right here in DC. Uh their first round pod will be in Columbia, South Carolina, starting on Friday, where they will play the winner of North Dakota State and North Carolina Central. So we could have a Bull City Classic on our hands in round one. Uh, Sam, let me start with you. I'll give you a couple of uh, metrics here, or not metrics, but a couple other things. Uh, We have Michigan State as our two seed, LSU as our three, Virginia Tech as our four seed, and we could possibly see a matchup with Johnny Dawkins and UCF in round two. So Sam, what do you think of our road to the Final Four? Give us your thoughts
2: well let's uh let me just start with the with the all narrative version of Duke's run to the championship. so as you already noted in that in the first round, Duke could get North Carolina central of course, the team right down the road there's a lot of uh, connections between Duke and Central. Uh, I know that a lot of the coaches are friends with each other, and so there are obvious connections between the programs there in the second well, they, round and,
1: hey 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 they played a legendary yeah. game in the sixties um like one they or did the play 50- a
2: legendary game yes. yeah yeah. Breaking the color line, even if it was behind closed doors, Um, and so then in the second round, Duke could get um, UCF if they beat VCU. Uh, UCF, of course, coached by longtime Duke assistant and Duke legend Johnny Dawkins. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually pretty okay with with that sort of first weekend for Duke. They get uh, I, I think the best thing about their seed there and their their placement is that they're in South Carolina, which is where they would ideally like to go because it's a short distance to travel and Carolina's not there. That was the thing I was watching for mm-hmm. the most during the show was, okay, Duke is in South Carolina. Great. Where are they going to put UVA and where are they going to put UNC? Having UVA in Columbia with us and having UNC in Jacksonville is a huge win for Duke because often, as we've talked about on this show, often Duke ends up playing in the same sub-regional uh, location is UNC, and therefore there are a lot of UNC fans in the area. That won't be the case here, um, which is awesome for Duke. Then looking ahead, um, the next round, I think the most fun team for Duke to be playing is Virginia Tech, of course, a team that Duke has already lost to this season. Both teams, when Duke played Virginia Tech, were uh, were down perhaps their best player, Zion Williamson on um, on Duke's side, and then Justin Robinson on uh, on Virginia Tech's side. So that would be uh, probably a vastly different game than the first one we saw. Uh, and then looking over at the other half of the East Regional, of course, Michigan State being the two seed is something that Duke fans will say, "Great, bring it on." Duke seems to seems to really know how to beat Michigan State, whether it's early in the season in the ACC Big Ten Challenge and the Champions Classic, or if it's in the Final Four. You know, we remember 2015 when Grayson Allen had a big game, um, and really everyone had a big game against Michigan State uh, on Duke's path to the championship. Now the other really interesting team on that side of course is Maryland who used to be in the, I guess they used to be in the ACC is that right they used to be Oh really you know it's 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 so hard to keep track there are so many years that we've been through this but uh Maryland's in there. LSU had had a um had a pretty strong run this season they weren't supposed to be as good as they were and then right at the end of the season they had a variety of issues that led to their coach and one of their best players Um, not being available for the tournament. So I'm very curious to see how it works out for them on that side of the bracket. But of course we only have to really be looking ahead at one of those teams if Duke makes it all the way to the elite eight. And we know from prior years and and watching other teams and our own team that um, making it to the elite eight is certainly not guaranteed. Making it to the second weekend is not guaranteed as UVA proved last year, even making it to Saturday or Sunday is not guaranteed. So um, Duke has to be focused on on that first game, regardless of of who comes out of the Central and um, North Dakota State game. Um, Duke certainly gets a break there, in that that team will have already played a game and will be coming off all the emotions of having to win their first NCAA tournament game before facing Duke in that first round. But overall, I'm I'm pretty happy about uh, about the teams that Duke got. I think there was some speculation this week that things could have been a lot harder for Duke if they hadn't gotten that number one overall seed um, and had to get say paired with Kentucky in a regional the way that the way that UNC is um, that, that just makes things harder for whoever you are, because Kentucky is going to bring more fans than you are to any location. Kentucky could be playing Gonzaga in Seattle and they would have more fans there. That's, that's just how it works for them. So oh, I'm, I, I'm I don't happy know, man. It, I think,
1: Kentucky and UNC that's a great fan that's going to be a great fan battle.
2: Yeah, well, except except the, the there are a lot of uh there are some interesting pitfalls in there because you've got Kansas in the same um in the same half of the bracket as UNC if they were to face off that game would be in Kansas City. Um, yeah. So UNC would be at, on like on the road as a one seed. I'm sure that their fans are li- I haven't gotten to check Twitter yet, but I am sure their fans are livid about that. Uh, as you know, as rightly they should be, and then um, and then they would still have to get by Kentucky in that Elite Eight game. Um, I don't know. Do we want to? Do you want me to talk about the rest yeah, of the bracket? I feel like I've I feel like I've kind of kind of run down the whole Duke situation. I don't know, Jason. Are there any other um, aspects of of Duke's placement in the bracket that you find particularly appealing, just looking at the East Regional?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a major th- factor. There are two things I want to talk about in that East Regional. Um, The first one is I'm outraged. I'm pissed off. The NCAA broke their seating guidelines. They did something they say they're not allowed to do. And pardon my language, folks, be ready. Put your earmuffs over your kids ears. They fucked Duke with Virginia Tech. And let me explain what's going on here. The NCAA has a seeding principle. In fact, if you go back, remember back in February, early February, the NCAA did this whole mock seeding thing. Remember where they said Duke was number one and Tennessee was number one A? You guys remember that, right? Yep. They did this whole this whole mock thing. And in the NCAA's article about the fake seeding that they put together, in their own article on NCAA.com, they wrote this. They were talking about the fact that Kentucky and Tennessee were not in the same bracket. And they said, this is because, quote, teams from the same conference seated on the top four lines cannot be placed in the same region. To make that sound simple, if you are a one through four seed, you cannot be placed in the same region as another team from your conference. Oh, but there's a problem because the ACC has five teams that got seeds one through four. Duke, Virginia, UNC, of course, on number one line, and Virginia Tech and Florida State on the number four line. And so they had to screw one of the ACC teams by putting them with another ACC team. And by the way, you never want to play a conference team in the NCAA tournament because they know you better. There's more familiarity there. Inherently, conference and more competitive than games against random teams who've never played you before season who have been watching you for years. So they had to screw one of the ACC teams. And you know who they screwed? They screwed Duke, the overall number one, the best team in the country. They said, hey, your reward for being the best is that you're going to have to play a team from your conference in Washington, D.C., you know, 50 miles from their campus. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. And there's an easy solution to this. What they should have done is Florida State, I think, was good enough to earn a three seed. They should have knocked LSU, those cheating bastards at LSU who don't have their coach and who are playing a guy who's going to be ruled ineligible because he took money. They should have moved LSU from a three down to a four. If they do that, they could make Florida State a three and they could put Florida State – I don't care if you want to put Florida State in Duke's region, that's fine. But that way, if they're a three, they're on the other side of our region. By making them a four – by having Virginia Tech as a floor and 4 and Florida State as a 4 they're both in the they're they're going to be playing one of the one of the ACC number ones and they decide to do it to duke it's wrong it's unfair i'm furious and that's why we're fucked on this bracket we're still going to win we're still going to get out we're going to beat virginia tech but it's not fair that they did this to us now I've also got stuff I can yeah, talk about Jason, Michigan State. Jason, but I'm, I, had, I'm
0: Jason, stop. I had no idea,
2: Jason. I had no idea that you felt so strongly about this. Um, yes, I. You know, I have I have predicted a lot of Jason Evans' hot takes as they've come in before. You know, I, I can sort of feel when they're when they're brewing. This is one I didn't anticipate. Um, you are you are diving deep on the conspiracy now.
1: Well, it, uh, again, I'm not going to say it's a conspiracy. It wasn't like they went, "Ooh, here's how we can get Duke." I I'm not one of those folks, but. They, The way they put the seeds together, they had to screw one of the ACC teams. And there are ways they could have gotten around that, again, by moving Florida State to a number three, which I think Florida State deserves. Florida State literally just became the only team not named Duke to beat Virginia. Florida State just beat Virginia Tech. Why are Florida State and Tech on the same line? Explain that to me. Can anyone explain that to me? Florida State's clearly better than Virginia. Virginia Tech. I mean – uh, Florida State should be a 3, Virginia Tech should be a 4. But so once they decided they're going to make Florida State and Virginia Tech 4s, they had to screw someone in the ACC. They should have screwed North Carolina cuz UNC was the third best ACC team. They were the third of the ACC seeds. Uh, why they screwed the number 1 seed I I don't understand. But so, maybe and they, broke their been, they broke the rules. They broke their rules to do it. So what they they're ended up doing
2: themselves. Perhaps they're punishing themselves for, um, <laughs> for all the uncertainty about whether or not Duke deserved that number one overall seed, uh, given how many
0: games they played without their full starting lineup. Uh, and this is their way for compensating for it. Yeah. So er, during the broadcast, they obviously, after they announced the selections, they interview the head of the committee. And this year it was uh, uh, the AD from Stanford. And he mentioned that Geographics, which is something that has come into play in the last few years, Geographics won out over some of these matchups. And they mentioned that they were talking about not looking at potential 1-4 or 1-2 matchups. They were looking at taking those top four seeds and placing them in the geographic region that made the most sense to them, which is why we have Michigan State in our in our region, because they figured that Michigan State would be closer to fly to D.C. than they would Kansas City, um, and I think that is is something where you kind of see that. Um, and when you look at the overall list of teams, it kind of, you kind of see how those first three teams break down. But I'm with you, Jason. I I don't I didn't see Virginia Tech as a four. I didn't see Florida State also as a four. I I saw one of those teams being higher. And yeah, I, I it, given what you said about Florida State and how they got to the final of the ACC tournament, beating Virginia in the process. That's probably where they should have been as a three seed, which would have made it a little bit easier to navigate. Uh, but I feel like with a lot of what they were looking at, they didn't take some of these potential matchups into play. And that's why you have some of these brackets like Kansas could be in a regional matchup against UNC at home in Kansas city uh it, it's it's just it, it's the same rationale that a couple years ago when we were the two seed down in Greenville South Carolina and had to face South Carolina in South Carolina um we obviously eventually lose that lost that game uh, but those sort of things are, are things that the committee does not take into consideration as much as they probably should
1: yeah so uh, let yeah, me do and, another and
2: and UNC's and UNC got way more screwed on that i think than duke did on Yeah their, absolutely on i I, I completely regional agree you underfeeding front
1: I, I completely agree. Uh, the, the, the East Duke's bracket and the Midwest Carolina's bracket are so much stronger than the South and the West. It's a joke there. I, I don't think there's a single team with the exception of Virginia, who I think is better than UNC. I don't think there's a single team in the South that is better than the corresponding seed in the East or the Midwest. And that's just wrong. And and by the way, I, I'm going to do a mini rant. I promise I won't take a long time on this one. the The fact that the NCAA committee uses distance geography as their primary determinant in what what region to place a team is just stupid. It's just dumb. It's one thing if you're talking about, uh, you know, one of the really really high seeds. You know, one of the top four seeds, or maybe even down to the 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 second line, and and you're putting them really close to home, you know, driving distance. If you're talking about driving distance, I get it. But the fact that they moved Michigan State, who was one of the highest number two seeds, to Duke's region because they said, oh, D.C. is closer than Kansas City. D.C. is 585 miles away from Michigan State. Kansas City's 700 miles. No one's driving 585 miles. No one's driving 700 miles. Everyone's taking a plane. It, we're talking about the difference of about 20 minutes on it, like a two-hour plane flight versus a two-hour and 20-minute plane flight. It's it's absurd that the NCAA committee went, oh, the overall number one, Duke, we're going to give them this team that was almost a number one. We're going to give them one of the best number two seeds in Michigan State because D.C. is 115 miles closer to Michigan State than Kansas City is. That's just dumb. And the NCAA, they, the NCAA, they make rules for themselves that are stupid rules. And so they put themselves in a situation where they make a bracket that people go, why no sane person would do this. This isn't the smart way to do it. And they do it over and over year after year. And it's like, they don't care that they're idiots. Well, I care, even though Duke's going to win and it doesn't matter.
0: So I want to shift gears a little bit within the tournament and talk about, uh, I think you guys are ready for this. Let me talk about the net. Okay. So, Uh, The net, for those of you out there, is the new kind of RPI uh, rating system that the NCAA came with. It's called the NCAA Evaluation Tool, Um, and that's what the net stands for. But I feel like they didn't use that tool very much in that committee room because when you look at this bracket, you have a couple of teams like St. John's uh, who was rated 70th. In, in the seventies in the net rankings. Okay. So even in by the net, by the, by the NCAA's evaluation tool, they selected a team for the NCAA tournament as an at large, that was not one of the top 68 teams in the country. Meanwhile, there are several teams in the thirties and forties in their same ranking that did not get a sniff. And not even that weren't even the first four left out. They were the next, whatever left out. And, and, it really needs a lot of work. We've talked about it a lot in the season. I mean, from the first rankings when they had what was it, Ohio State was ranked number one, um, you know, three weeks into the season. I, I think in the end, the NCAA has to really say that this tool is what it is, which is something that they use uh, just as a graphic on, on Selection Sunday because they did not use it in this room. They may, like, I, I really think they didn't. Uh, they probably looked at the eyeball test uh, and kind of just looked at records um, I think NC State really, I mean, NC State was the highest ranked team in the net that was left out. I do think they were left out because they had the worst non-conference schedule in the country. But they should just go out and say that. They shouldn't hide behind the net and say, oh, the net is what we're using a- a- amongst everything. I think they need to come out and say, here is what we are rating. Here's what we are are, are saying is the uh, uh, what we're looking at and what we're valuing. And they're clearly not valuing the net.
1: Yeah. By the way, Donald, I've got a really interesting theory about what happened to NC State and Clemson, and by the and the ACC got screwed. The, the ACC absolutely should have had, had eight, probably nine teams. It's ridiculous and absurd that Clemson and NC State were left out, um, uh, and and that they took St. John's and they took like teams that were. You said St. John's was ranked outside the top sixty eight. There were teams ranked in the sixties that got at large bids. You just never. You never should be giving an at-large bid to a team ranked in the 60s. That, you know, like 45 or maybe even 50 should be your absolute cutoff um, by whatever metric you're using. It's not just the net. Ken Pomeroy's uh, the BPI, every ranking out there said that NC State and Clemson deserve to be in this tournament. They were ranked in the top 20 or top 30 in all of them. But here's my theory. You pointed out, Donald, that – NC State had the worst, not one of the worst, the worst non-conference schedule of any team in the country. And I think the committee went, you know what, NC State, you played nothing but cupcakes. And so we are not going to take you into our tournament. You did not play well enough against good teams for us to reward all those games you played against bad teams, against nothing but bad teams. So they didn't, so they said, we're not taking NC State. So what does that mean for Clemson? Well, NC State, I think, was ahead of Clemson because NC State beat Clemson in the ACC tournament they were tied in the regular season in the ACC standings NC State beat Clemson in the ACC tournament so NC State sort of ahead of Clemson in line but when they said we're not taking NC State when NC State got penalized for their schedule I think Clemson because they had to be behind NC State Clemson got penalized also and I think yeah, that's what happened can, yeah but but but
2: I mean the the committee claims that they don't um that they don't Put teams into conferences right when they're doing this, so it's not like it's they not lie. like NC State. Well, maybe they lie. Um, they say <laughs> they don't do it. I'm I'm actually more shocked that they left Clemson out than they left State out. Um, just given the the whole body of work, Clemson, as you mentioned, doesn't have the very worst non-conference strength of schedule. Um, not at all. They, not even close.
1: Not even close. Yeah. They're,
2: and they're and they're great across all the metrics. I'm 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 a, I'm much more surprised that they left Clemson out. I think for NC State, it's very easy to look at that that non-conference schedule and say, well, that wasn't great. In fact, it was pretty horrible. We're just going to penalize. We're just going to say, forget it. We don't really care unless you had, you know, a run to the ACC final or, or you know, had a bunch of great upsets on the road or something like that. Um, I, I think it's fine to leave NC State out. I'm a little upset about Clemson. I thought the ACC was going to get eight or nine, as you said, teams in the tournament, and they only ended up with seven, although it was, it is fun that, that the ACC has – Three of the number one seeds, which is which is pretty cool, um, and three
0: of the ACC teams are in the East because uh, Louisville is the seventh seed in that in that bracket.
2: Right, right. Uh, another way is Jason might point out that that Duke kind of gets the short end of of being the number one overall seed. I, I at, at a certain point, I think that there are just too many variables that they're they're trying to counterweight against each other, and they're not going to be able to please anybody. the The thing that gives me a little hope that I think they did do it well is that when I look at the bracket, Jason, I, I, I haven't done that same kind of look as far as how does the one in each region compare to each other? How does the two compare to each other? The three, etc. cetera. Um, but when I look at each bracket, it's not, I don't see any like one or two seeds that have the most obvious path, or most obvious, like, Oh, they're definitely going to make the elite eight. Oh, they're definitely going to make the final four. I see, um, a lot of interesting teams all over the place. And I think that's actually a little bit of a testament to how interesting college basketball has been this year, not just at the very top, but kind of in the middle, too, where you have interesting squads like Buffalo and Wofford. These are you know programs that are not traditionally very good that had really, really strong seasons. Um, you had a Nevada team that was supposed to be top 10 at the beginning of the season that, you know, fell off and, and lost some games they weren't supposed to, but they sort of had like a really thin margin for error. Well, lo and behold, now they're in that 7-10 game in the in the first round in the West. Um, Nevada, who we know has a lot of talent, could, I think, easily upset Michigan in that second round game um, and and could wind up right back in uh, what Nevada made the Elite Eight last year, right? Uh, so they could wind up there again. Yeah. Um, there's, there's all these interesting teams, I think, throughout the bracket, and, and it just speaks to how interesting college basketball was because I think – I think in some years we see, like, even even up at the two seeds, we're like, oh, so-and-so is a phony. Um, so-and-so, like, of course they, like, won their conference tournament or, or, or really did well in conference. But we know that, like, you know, Iowa State is not that good, just as a as an example from the past. I don't see any of those teams this year. I think... I think all the ones and twos are are really strong. I think a lot of the threes are strong um you know even that Houston team that is you know it it's it sort of mid majory they're they're sort of on the on the bubble there, but of uh, being a mid major but they're also a strong squad even though they have a, a couple of bad losses. So um, I, I think the, that actually the bracket is fairly balanced, even even though if you dig into some of those rules, Jason, that you're talking about, um, some of them had to get violated because that's just that's just kind of how this process is. It, it's sort of sort of yucky and bad.
1: Yeah, the only thing I'd say to that is the the uh, you start out by saying, oh, I don't see anyone where there's like an obvious easy path. I disagree. Virginia, um, if Virginia doesn't make the Final Four, they need to fire Tony Bennett. Now uh, I'm I'm kidding. I'm being hyperbolic, of course, because Tony Bennett's. You know, arguably the, the one the tight now, uh, but um, man, I I look at that Virginia bracket and I'm trying to come up with any scenario I can think of where they don't make the final four, and I'm really struck. I don't think P- Purdue can't Purdue can't beat Virginia. No one on the bottom Tennessee? half. I don't. I mean, I guess if Tennessee gets really hot from the perimeter, maybe. But I, the the couple times I've watched Tennessee play this year, they're they're good. I don't think they're Beat tennis they're, I don't think they're beat Virginia good, and and one of the things about Virginia that we've seen, <laughs> with the exception of losing to the number sixteen seed last year, I was going to say that,
2: with the exception of the most glaring example that everyone will talk about for the rest of time. <laughs> continue <laughs> right
1: <laughs> with the exception of that. I think we've seen Virginia consistently get the job done when Virginia is the better team. Virginia wins. That's what we've seen except over in, like,
2: the past. except in the most
1: important moments. <laughs> yes, but other than right but for the past like 3 years i feel like that has been the story over and over and over again for virginia um and i i, I look through that south region and i can't find anyone that i say that team is as good as virginia or cl- or really really close to virginia maybe maybe tennessee but uh, Again, when I've seen them play, I haven't felt that. And folks, um, folks, just
2: just for the record here, Jason is predicting that Virginia is going to lose to Oklahoma State in the second round of
1: this tournament. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it'd be Oklahoma—that's who they're playing. But no, I'm not predicting that. I I, I will be. I, what, should we do Final Four picks? I, I I you know.
0: Yeah, I was actually about to lead it and, and, and ask you guys. Uh, first of all, the, these are the rules. Um, you have to list, you have, obviously have to give four picks. You don't have to list a champion if you want, just give it the final four. And you have every right to change your pick between now and the start of the dance. And you also have every right to be wrong. So with that in mind, Sam, who's your final four as of right now? All
2: right. So you'll obviously see my my official picks when the DBR bracket challenge comes out. Uh, you know when, when those picks get revealed on Thursday, because uh, of course we're going to be doing the DBR bracket challenge again this year. Donald, I'm sure you're going to share all the details about that, because I yep. think you're you're in charge of of that particular fun. Um, but right now, as I as I'm looking at the note that I wrote on my phone, uh, I have Duke, Gonzaga, UVA. Those are all one seeds, right? Those are all one seeds. Yeah, and, way to go on the limb. <laughs> and Kentucky. Um yeah, I've got a I've got a fairly safe uh I've got a fairly safe set of picks. I, I'm uh, I might change those things around, but um Duke Gonzaga UVA and, and Kentucky. Um am I picking too much with the heart and not with the head? Who knows?
1: We'll see. Sounds sounds like you're picking with the head, not the heart. I mean those are all head picks. <laughs> it's those nice if they, head it's head, nice yeah. it's nice when those things align, right?
0: All right, Jason, what do you got?
1: So I've got <laughs> Uh, I have Duke. Um yes, I have Duke coming out of the east. I know that's a huge shocker. Um out west, I, I my early pick, again, thank you. I reserve the right to change it, um, is Texas Tech. And if not Texas Tech, i I may go Florida State. Um I, I I like both of those teams a lot. Um Jason, are uh, you a hater of Gonzaga? Uh I'm I'm yeah. kinda of not I'm not a believer because they've, they because 'cause they've got Duke on a neutral court earlier this season because they haven't played anyone in, in four months. That's, that's why. So anyway, uh, moving on in the, in the South, I've got Virginia. I, I, I teed that up a moment ago. I'll be, I'll be shocked if anyone but Virginia comes out of the South and, um, like Sam, I've got Kentucky coming out of the Midwest. So
0: I have Duke obviously in the East. I have Gonzaga in the West. I have Tennessee coming out of the South because, uh, I, I I just I'll, I'll say it. I just don't trust UVA in the tournament. I don't think they're going to lose in the first round again. Uh, but I I do think that they will probably fall to a team that can run up and down the floor and get a lot of points, and Tennessee. that is
2: Tennessee. Um, t- Virginia is definitely going to leave all their starters
0: in for the entire game. Oh, the Virginia's entire game. Absolutely. <laughs> like, they, they're gonna they're, they're gonna they're, actually try and force overtime just so they can run the score up some more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in that first game somehow. Um, and, and here's the thing in the, in the Midwest, I've been going back and forth just the last few hours and this will, uh, this is probably going to change, but right now I have UNC because I, I do think that they somehow find a way to get to the final four in years that they probably shouldn't this year is a year that they, they, if they're in the final four, they would probably, you could say that they should be there. So, uh, I, I have them right now. That's probably going to change. Uh, the Gonzaga pick may also change. Based on how I feel, basically Thursday morning. But I have Duke, Gonzaga, Tennessee, and UNC in my Final Four so far. Uh, but for those of you out there who want to get in on the action, uh, as Sam alluded to, we have a DBR bracket challenge. I've posted the link in the DBR forums, so you can go there, register. You can fill out one bracket. Uh, you can enter one bracket into this thing. Uh, last year, I think we had like 228 different uh, brackets, but the winner of the dbr bracket challenge will get to have a guest segment on this very show uh sometime after the season so um that will be uh, we, we had one last year uh it was like i thought it was pretty good that we did last year so we're going to do that again again the dbr bracket challenge is run through yahoo it's on the forums right now so you can go click on that link and register and may the best player win This episode of the DBR podcast is brought to you by those fine lawyers at Bird Campbell, your Duke centric business law firm with offices in Florida and Texas. Run by two Duke class of 1978 graduates, no law firm bleeds Duke blue more than Bird Campbell. If you or a loved one is in need of legal services, check them out at BirdCampbell.com. That's B Y R D C A M P B E L L.com. Bird Campbell, you know they mean business. Okay, guys, we are now going to move on to the ACC tournament. And for those of you out there, we Sam has to catch his flight. So I want to give ch- Sam a chance to uh, give a brief comment on the ACC tournament, and then we will say goodbye to him for now. But we have someone that's going to take his place. But Sam, what do you got for us on the ACC tournament before you have to navigate the hell that is dullest?
2: All right. So obviously Zion Williamson is the player of the week. Right. And I'm sure you guys will talk more about that at length. What I'm going to do is issue an apology. Um, I will never again talk about Coach K's tendency to shrink the roster as the year goes on, because the, the (laughs) the big theme from this tournament is that doesn't happen anymore. Um, the, the some of the most important players on the team in this tournament were Antonio Brankovic and Jordan Goldwire. That just goes to show you that we don't know anything. Guys, it was great being here tonight. I am so excited for the tournament, and uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you again later this week.
0: Great. Thanks, Sam, and, uh, and, and safe travels back to Durham. And there went Sam. Uh, Sam is gone now, but because we say goodbye to Sam, we can now say hello to our special guest that will help us out for the rest of the show. We have Matt Burr from 88.7 FM WXDU, which is Duke's student radio station. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the hosts of the WXDU sports show. Uh, but in any case, Matt has just, been a Is that correct?
3: Yeah, that's correct, Donald. Yeah, yep. yep. thank you. Um,
0: and, and Matt's been a friend of the podcast team for quite a while. Uh, we, we've worked with him on, on several different occasions, but we're happy to have him finally appear on the DBR podcast. So, Matt, welcome.
3: Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Um, I, as you said, I, I do co-host the uh, XDU Sports Show on Sundays, and uh, via that, I have the the privilege of attending the ACC tournament this uh, past weekend. Uh, great time, obviously would have been great, or you know, pretty great. Obviously, <laughs> even if we uh, hadn't won, but the fact that we took home the championship was incredibly sweet, and I got to uh, talk to some of the guys after the game. Um, was was there. While they were cutting down the nets, and it was just, you know, really special for sure.
0: That's that's terrific. We're we're going to get into more of that. I actually also was in Charlotte, but did not get a ticket to the game. So I think what I have to do from now on for the ACC tournament is go to the city where it's hosted and not go to the games because we end up winning championships when that happens. So uh, it's not crazy if it works, right? Um, no. But when we when we start with the <laughs> ACC tournament, we have to start with number one, Zion Williamson. Um, came back from injury he had been missing for six games he came back and damn did he come back he did not miss a shot until the second game of the tournament for him was the tournament MVP averaged 27 points a game over 10 rebounds a game several blocks and a partridge in a pear tree Matt I'm going to start with you tell me about the phenomenon that is Zion Williamson how was it in person? Because I know how it looked on TV, it looked mesmerizing.
3: Yeah, no, for sure, it was amazing. I mean, just right from the the, it was like two minutes into the Syracuse game when he got the steal and a dunk that was you know just inside the free throw line, and just the arena like erupts, like the the energy that Zion brings to the team, and then just even for the fans feeds off it. Obviously, he he went thirteen for thirteen in that first game, which was a a c c tournament record um and i think it was it was even an all time a c c uh record tied with a, a brad doherty game against u c l a so that just that shows you just from the from the beginning um how on Zion was and you know afterward people were just kind of when they were talking to him in the uh post game you know, they were kind of like in awe of how good it was. And they're like, this was just like the perfect game. And then Zion, he's, he's so humble. He was said, you know, it wasn't the perfect game. I couldn't throw a tennis ball into the ocean when it came to the free throw line where he went two for nine. And that was just, that was the only uh, down spot in his game. He had the steals, he had the blocks um, you know, it, it was a complete package there. And then obviously moving on to the next games uh, against uh, Carolina and Florida state, um he he got a a little more help in those because the Syracuse one was was definitely a little close um but uh and, and UNC one was even closer but uh but yeah Zion just you kind of you knew like and the other team knew that he's getting the ball and you're gonna have a hard time stopping him whether it was the and ones or the the game winner against UNC where he misses his own or he rebounds his own miss to uh to put it in um yeah. I mean, you're kind of speechless when you're talking about Zion. <laughs> uh, for, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, it's so, like, so I, time, yeah. I can come
0: up with, I could come up with zero words to describe Zion Williamson and I could also come up with a, a novel larger than game of Thrones to describe Zion Williamson. But yeah, you're right. It is, <laughs> I don't know. It's, there's no, there's no way to describe him because every way is right.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm just like kind of uh, reading over here. You know, he's the, uh, He's Duke's first uh, freshman recipient of the uh, MVP award. Um, The first since uh, Brandon Wright in 2007 uh, for a freshman getting it. Um, And, oh, yeah, so he also, yeah, I was going to say the other side was that he set the ACC tournament three-game freshman scoring record, um, topping Phil Ford's 78 points. He finished with 81 for the three games, which also was the, um, that broke the Duke three game ACC tournament scoring record of 80 points set by Art Heyman in 1961. So, you know, there's just that, that's all.
1: (laughs) You, you, You almost can't describe all the different accolades, all the different things that Zion is doing. Like, like Donald said, it's almost, you know, you don't have words for it. He's the first player in history to win ACC freshman of the year, ACC player of the year and ACC tournament MVP. Come on. I mean,
0: it's just like the only reason he didn't get defensive player of the year is because we didn't put him
1: up for it. Because he probably would have wanted (laughs) to. I am I'm gonna rant about that in just a little bit. Believe me. Uh if you if you gave me even money right now, I would place a large bet. And in fact, I'll put this out here to the entire DBR podcast community. Folks, if you want to make a wager with me right now, even money. Will Zion Williamson be in the NBA Hall of Fame someday? Not will he be an all-star, not will he be all-NBA. Will he be in the Hall of Fame someday? I'm betting on Zion making the Hall of Fame. I'm good. I'll make that wager with you right now. I've been looking. (laughs) Yeah, I'm serious. I've been looking at old drafts and and old, you know, All-American and Player of the Year rankings and things like that. I'm trying to find the last college player who was this dominant. At both ends of the floor, this great on offense, this great on defense, Uh, the last guy who was this much of a sure thing of an NBA prospect, the last guy who controlled the college basketball landscape as much as him. I, I went back to Anthony Davis, and I think a lot of people are saying Anthony Davis is the best comparison. Anthony Davis is only one of the five best players in the NBA today. Um, I actually think Anthony Davis is not a good comparison because Anthony Davis was pretty pedestrian on offense. Like if you look at his numbers, he averaged like 13 points per game, like eight rebounds per game. I mean, Anthony Davis protected the rim like nobody's business. But I don't think that Anthony and, – and by the way, that Kentucky team with Anthony Davis won the NCAA title like with ease. They, they didn't – they weren't – it was non noncompetitive. Um, uh, Blake Griffin – Blake Griffin was my sort of next candidate. Uh, Blake Griffin's sophomore season was really impressive. If you look at his numbers, if you look at how good Oklahoma was, they did not win the national title, but Blake Griffin swept all the awards out there. He was a really dominant player, but I actually think, because they didn't have as much success in the postseason and uh, because Blake Griffin wasn't as good defensively. His, His offensive numbers were huge, but he wasn't the defensive force that Zion is. I mean, Zion is one of the leading contenders and may win national defensive player of the year. Blake Griffin wasn't in that conversation. So I think it's not Blake Griffin. So I had to go back even further. You know who I went to? I went to Tim Duncan. I think the last guy who was this good on both ends of the floor, who dominated college basketball this much, was Tim Duncan. He only went on to become arguably the greatest power forward in the history of the game. I think that's the kind of path that Zion Williamson is on. I mean, it's crazy. It, uh, and I'm almost at a, wor- a loss for words to talk about him. Um, I-, I think all of us are. He can do everything. The, the bounce pass that he had, that, 40, that 40-foot bounce pass um, to Trey Jones, I, you, you don't see stuff like that. I I love when he looks at his hand after he does something incredible. He looks at his arm and looks at his hand as if to go, how did you do that? Well, Zion, I got news for you. The entire college basketball world is looking at all of you, not just your hand. And we're saying, how did you do that? Because he's doing stuff we've never seen before.
0: Yeah, it's incredible when you when you watch him because, you know, we we just talked about how you have uh, an NCAA tournament, you have all these ratings, you have all these metrics, you have all these analytics, and then there's the eyeball test. Zion passes the eyeball test with flying colors. He, when, when you look at him play, you cannot take your eyes off of him, not even when he doesn't have the ball. Like, when, when he, like The way he moves, his motor, everything about him on the court is why people watch basketball. That is, the, that is literally why people are tuning in to watch basketball this year is because they want to see this guy play. And then when you throw in the metrics and you throw in the analytics and you throw in the stats, you think of how otherworldly his performance has been this year and it's really, really amazing to watch. It, it's, you guys talk for two minutes about him and, and I can't even come up with 50 words to say because it's that amazing. It really is. Oh,
1: oh uh, wait, wait. I've got, I got a great one. So a friend of mine, James Voltz, who's a, a former Dukey and, and we email with each other. He sent me an email and there's just a great line in it that I want to, I want to share with you guys. You're, you're talking about Donald about the stats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, James wrote to me. He said, this is a guy who when he hits two out of every three shots, his field goal percentage on the season drops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy. It's like absurd. If he hits two out of three shots, he's doing bad. That's like, I mean, We've never seen anything like that. And then James wrote this and I just laughed. I, I laughed hysterically and I wanted to repeat this. James said, at this point, Zion would have to fly the team plane or perform perform neurosurgery on court without burning a timeout to surprise me. <laughs> I was like I'm like, that's perfect. He's right. There's there is nothing Zion can do at this point and not surprise us. And by the way, you know, we we've talked about all these stats. I wish there was a stat for intimidation because what I saw again and again and again in these games was it wasn't just Zion was blocking shots. He blocked a large number of shots, but the fact that he would fly at guys jumping higher than they expected, the fact that he's bouncing around all over around the basket um, teams had to alter the way they shot the ball. And uh, you know, to me the most remarkable stat from the entire tournament Did you guys see what Florida State shot from two-point range against Duke? Florida State's two-point shooting. So we're talking about shots pretty much taken only in the paint. And Florida State is a team that is long. Florida State is a team that is very tall. They usually finish their two-point shots. They shot 27.9% on two-point range. Basically, they hit a quarter of their layups. That's because Zion Williamson was freaking them the hell out. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. But you know what, guys? Let's talk about.
0: I mean, there were, there were other guys on the court, not named Zion Williamson, that also played and, and had good performances to get this 21st ACC title for the Blue Devils. Uh, so let's talk about some of that. You know, the, the Syracuse game, we beat them 84 72 in the quarterfinals. And, and, you know, speaking merely for myself, um, that UNC game was a classic, an absolute beast of a game. That if you were a neutral fan of college basketball, you would want to see that over and over. But naturally, I never want to see that game happen again because my team was in that game and I had to deal with the ups and downs. I was literally pacing outside of a bar in Charlotte for the last 10 minutes of that game uh, just to because everything was such at a feverish pace and you had to watch every single second of that game. Uh, and then finally, we go to the floor, we. we Play for the State. We beat them 73-63 to cut down the nets in Charlotte. Tell me, what was the performance of the weekend for you guys? I'll start with you, Jason. The performance of the weekend by a guy not named Zion.
1: Well, so I think it was Trey Jones. Um, and I feel like Trey is elevating his game the same kind of way that Tyus Jones did at the end of Tyus's senior year. Um, Trey it averaged right around 15 points per game in the ACC tournament. Um, including that 18-point final game against uh, 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 Florida State, that was his career high. By the way, that 18-point game, um, he he had he had 18 assists with only eight turnovers. He had 10 rebounds, five steals, and by the way, like the craziest stat of all, Trey Jones played all but 16 seconds in the three games. He basically plays nonstop for Duke because he's. He's the engine that drives you know, our train and because he's so great on defense. And, and by the way, uh, in Duke's last 12 games, the, starting with the second Virginia game to where we are now, Duke's last 12 games, Trey Jones has played all but 12 minutes. He's averaging 39 minutes a game. And, and that includes the fact that he sat for five because that game was over at halftime. If, if the score is less than 15 or 20 points, Trey Jones is on the floor, period, end of story. He was fabulous in, in these games. And I think we've seen, I think what we saw in this tournament, the key for Duke going forward, RJ and Zion. By the way, I can't believe that we just said RJ's name for the first time this entire podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Our, I know. RJ, our, RJ and Zion are going to give you what they give you. RJ and Zion are, are arguably the two best players in the country. or damn close to it. And they are going to be great. The key for Duke is everyone else. And do we get two other guys? Because I think one doesn't get the trick done. But if we get two other guys who do it, then Duke wins. And, and and if those two guys are playing really well, Duke wins easily. And this tournament, Trey was one of those two guys. And then I feel like the other one was Javin Delorier, especially in the final. But I'm going to let Matt talk about someone else because I I was told to ask to talk about one. Not that's I talk cool. About Trey.
3: No, I would I would totally agree uh, there mentioning Trey. I thought it was it was somewhat shocking that he didn't end up making the uh first team all tournament. Um he was the uh I guess he was the top vote getter on the second team, um but but yeah, RJ and Zion both on the first team. Trey definitely was uh especially incredible yesterday in the championship. Um 8 for 14. Uh he made he made one of our only two three-pointers in the game. Um four rebounds, um uh, six assists. Um but yeah, just the clutch plays for sure. Um, and I and I would also I, I totally agree with uh you throwing in Javin there at the end. Um obviously we know that Marquise didn't play this weekend and Javin definitely had to step up there guard uh guarding the bigger guys for Florida State, guarding uh Luke May and Garrison Brooks as well. Um we haven't mentioned I I'll I'll definitely throw in uh the you know the unsung heroes that that I think everybody would agree are Duke legends from this weekend is the, uh, the duo of Jordan Goldwire and Antonio vrakovic you know, uh, Sam uh, mentioned them as well um, for the, for that game against uh, Carolina. I mean, that was just Jordan Goldwire. You know, we, had, we saw him have his uh, his day in the sun there in the Louisville comeback game, but um, coming in against UNC after he came in to guard uh UNC's Cam Johnson. Cam, uh, Cam Johnson, yeah, who had scored 14 points in what seemed like you know three or four minutes to start the game, and I think after that maybe Cam only scored nine more the rest of the game. Jordan was phenomenal. Um, besides locking up someone that is you know several inches taller than him, um, Coach K specifically pointed out his uh, ability to get back on the break and prevent the, uh, the UNC runouts that we know that they, you know, they live on um, after makes or misses. He just was really praising Jordan's athleticism and his, uh, his awareness to, to get back and, uh, and break that up and cause them to play uh, a more of a half court game. Um, and then obviously Antonio, you know, he is, he's played even less than Jordan over the season and his career. Um, but he's, you know, he's obviously a team player and he comes in there after Javin, picks up the uh, the quick fouls that we know you know he he tends to, to do sometimes, and just provided that big body um, that uh, we needed. And actually, I'm I'm looking at the uh, the plus minus here for the UNC game, and Antonio was uh, plus Hawks twelve. 14.
1: Plus, oh, no, 12, yeah, it says
3: plus twelve on the thing. I'm like, at yeah, it's the it's the highest one. the The next highest is uh, is Jordan with a plus four. So that just tells you something. Um, yeah, and I mean there was the one play, you know, it was, well several, but the Antonio passing to Jordan for a uh, a layup. I mean that's just that's not something you would expect to happen, obviously, in a game like that. Um, yeah. You had Antonio blocking Luke May. That was something that he uh, specifically pointed out in the uh, the post game as you know, kind of the highlight for him. And and Coach K even mentioned too. You know, he's like, if if uh, Antonio thought he was going to play you know, ten minutes in this game coming in, I mean, th- that certainly wasn't going to be the case. And he even said something to one of the other uh, reporters, like, kind of like, you know, when I had the the senior night start against Wake Forest, like, you know, that's kind of like that's my. Uh, sort of like the end of my contribution to the season probably. And you now here he is. Um, he started the second half there against UNC as well. So um, major, uh, major shout out to, uh, to both of those guys um, for that game. And, you know, they, they came in there. Um, I do actually, I'm, I'm honestly not sure if Antonio did play against Florida state. I think he, yeah, he ultimately, he, oh, no, hey, he hey, was going to come in. I saw a couple times he was getting ready to come in. And then Florida State would sub out um, Kumaji, and then Antonio would stay on the bench, and they brought in either Jack or Jordan instead. But, um, but yeah, Jordan still played against uh, Florida State as well. He earned it. And, and uh, yeah, the end of the Carolina game, one of my friends described uh, the way that Jordan looked when he was playing with the cramps as – it's like if you were playing uh FIFA soccer and you your guy has like the red x on top of him because it's like saying like this guy needs to be <laughs> right. this guy needs to be subbed out um you know that's that, awesome. so so shout out to my friend the, for the uh my friend John for making that uh that observation um yeah i don't know i just the and the, yeah the atmosphere like yeah i can totally uh, imagine you, Donald, pacing, watching that game. It was incredibly tense. Normally, when I'm uh, at our games in Cameron, um, I am able to to sit courtside. Incredibly, uh, you know, blessed for that. And you have to be, even though I'm a Duke partisan, you, you got to uh, you know appear professional. There's no uh, pumping your fist and stuff like that. But in this game, I wasn't one of the the courtside people. I was with a lot of the other media people that were kind of like in the like mezzanine club level. And it was still like a great view, but I felt like I could, uh, you know, I was being a little more demonstrative sitting next to a couple of the other, uh, Duke blogger people were just like, yeah, come on, you're like, you know, make this free throw and what have you. Um, it was, it was really, really tense. Obviously it was like a 75, 80% Carolina crowd in that game. Um, back and forth second half, I think like maybe the largest lead was, was five or six for either side. Um, i don't know you come down to the end and we're we're up one after the uh the zion put back rj's fouled and you're kind of just like all right you know just come on rj make one or you know maybe both and you know he hasn't been uh, you know a uh incredible free throw shooter this year but I, I do think he's he's good in the clutch so i really expected him to make one and then you know when he misses the second one they're just kind of coming down i had flashbacks to the uh the you know Duke Butler National Championship game where you're just kind of like there it had been off a free throw missed and there's guys putting up a long shot and you're kind of like just hanging is this going to go in and then just like no and then the the follow honestly I haven't even like seen if the follow was I guess it did get off in time and just missed I was sort of on the I was on the opposite basket of that and haven't like even like studied it enough to realize if that would have it but just like the reaction of like the the Duke fans in the building when it, you know, when the buzzer went off and you're just like <laughs> relief. Um, Cause it, we just couldn't lose to them three times, honestly. And I, I really liked someone posted a video of uh, the like team huddle in the locker room or in the hallway before the game. And you could hear Javin speaking up and just kind of being like, you know, this is personal are we can't lose to these guys three times, you know, despite whatever disregard the seating of the NCAA tournament, which we know it was important, but you just you know we needed to win that one, and you know, yeah, you move on to the Florida state one, and it's just kind of like that one we were down maybe seven or eight in the uh first half, and you're kind of like we're a little flat, they're making a lot of threes, um they make all the they made all, all but i think one free throw um and uh yeah Cobb Gelly was it was it was funny how Cobb Gelly doesn't start because. Um, Kumaji, even though he made, I think he made his first two shots and then went out and then Cabangeli comes in and starts sort of lighting it up. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, Leonard, come on, bring, uh, bring Kumaji back in here. But, um, but yeah, we just, uh, credit to the team for, for coming back after being down seven and getting it, uh, tied at halftime. And then you kind of felt good about it. They, they, uh, it really pulled away in the second half and finally Cam, when he made that, that three kind of that was it was in front of the uh, the Duke family section and it rolled in and you're just like all right like you know we can uh we can put this one on ice I don't know I'm kind of rambling but it it was it was really fun (laughs) it was great to be there
0: (laughs) so for me I I think you guys talked about a couple of guys I want to talk about when we talk about guys not named Zion so I'll talk about RJ Barrett because we really haven't discussed them that much um on this podcast. And and he had a great, great, you know, three series of games. When we talk about this machine that is Zion, you have to talk about what it means for someone who is supposed to be on the same level and in this mentioned in the same light as him, having to kind of take a back seat to him. And I think Zion I think RJ was able to provide the offense that he normally provides to provide, you know, that spark that we needed at key plays of the game, at key moments of the game, and he was able to do that extremely well while serving kind of as the back, you know, the, one of the the backup singers, if you if you will, um, to that machine. When we talk about this ACC tournament, we're going to talk about it being the Zion tournament. That, that's how it's going to go down in history. But having said that, RJ Barrett really provided a lot of offense for us. He was really good in, on defense, especially with rebounding, because we needed every one of his rebounds, especially against that uh, against UNC. But he had eight key rebounds um, uh, for us in that game and seven assists as well in that game. So he, he's distributing the ball. He's doing a lot. And I think RJ deserves a lot of credit for how he played this week because he helped us cut those nets down in Charlotte.
1: So we're, we're we're running long. <laughs> There's so much to talk about this week. We still haven't done parting shots and things like that. But I have one more, um, a, a couple more things I want to say about the ACC tourney. Sorry, folks, bear with me. Uh, the first one is um, we absolutely positively won this tournament in the paint. Um, there are just some unreal statistics I'm about to throw at you. Um, we played three teams. That are really good at controlling your ability to get into the paint. Syracuse plays that zone. It is designed, um, it is singularly designed to do one thing: to keep you from shooting inside. We then played Carolina, who has big players, and Carolina's defense is to force you outside. They play really good on the inside, and then we play Florida State, who's one of the biggest teams in the country. So playing those three opponents, Duke scored. Uh, sorry, what's the number? We had 44 points in the paint. 44 points in the paint against Syracuse. That's the most Syracuse has allowed all year. We had 50 points in the paint against UNC. That's the most Carolinas allowed all year. And it's something like, I believe I heard that it's the most they've given up in more than a decade. 50 points in the paint. And then we had 42 points in the paint against Florida State. Guess what? The most Florida State has allowed in a game this year. So, Duke's ability to get inside, and this is we're really talking about Zion Williamson primarily, but R.J. Barrett also drives the basket really well. I mean, you know, it's not just Zion. Duke's ability to get in the paint and score two-point shots counteracts the fact that we're going to shoot one of 13 from three-point range. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to mention very quickly was, um, if I had told you a few de- a few days ago, that The key to the Syracuse game would be that Jordan Goldwire came in and stopped Buddy Bayheim from dropping and dominating the game. You would have carted me away in a um in a padded van. I mean, <laughs> the notion that Jordan and Buddy Bayheim were two of the most important players in this game is just absolutely unreal. It, it it never I never would have expected it. And for Goldwire to then do the same thing, you know, the next game against Carolina. Um, mad props to him for, for working at his game, for finding a spot where he could help the team. Last thing, my good buddy, Steve Douches, this is one of the guys that I went to school with when I went to Duke back in the 1980s. Uh, there's a text chain that all the guys from my freshman hall, they're, they're like 10 of us who are on this text chain together. And when there's a game going on, especially a big game, we're firing text messages back and forth at each other after we won the ACC title, Steve Douches sent me something pretty remarkable. I was uh, my freshman year was 1986, which was, you know, Johnny Dawkins senior year, the beginning of of Duke dominating college basketball. And Steve said, "Gentlemen, this is our 15th ACC title in 34 years of cheering together. I want you to think on that for a minute. Since I started cheering for Duke in 1986, 34 years, we've won 15 ACC titles. Almost half of these seasons have ended with Duke winning the ACC tournament. And an even more incredible stat is that since 1999, Duke has won 12 ACC tournament titles. The rest of the conference combined, every other school not named Duke, the other 14 schools, they have nine. Duke has 12. Everyone else has nine. It's unbelievable the way this team wins ACC tournament titles. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. We are blessed.
3: Amen. (laughs)
0: The DBR podcast is brought to you by GTHCGTH.com. As any Duke fan knows, that stands for Go to Hell, Carolina, Go to Hell. And it is the go-to website for G- Go to Hell, Carolina, Go to Hell branded. Hats, t-shirts, rally towels, foam fingers, and other gear that shows off your true feelings for those cheaters 12 miles down the road. We should probably add that this entire thing is a brainchild of one of the most beloved Blue Devils of all time. Kenny Denard, a four-year starter who played in the record 14 rivalry games against those hellbound Tar Heels. He and his partner, Holt Gardner, class of 91, add new items every week. So go visit GTHCGTH.com. We know you will see something you like. And as always, go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Okay, guys, uh, we are not doing Player of the Week this week because we all know who that was. Uh, That was Zion Williamson. Um, So instead, I want you guys to give me your unsung hero of the last week, the guy who really helped us on our quest to win another ACC championship. So, Jason, who is your unsung hero of the week?
1: I mean, I don't know that he's unsung, but I think – yeah, I said earlier, I I thought Trey Jones was outstanding um, and had a a great week. He – the three-pointers have got to start to fall, please. Please. Can we start favoring three-pointers?
3: Oh my gosh. Or, or or just keep making the floaters. I feel like Trey, you know, if he gets the floater, he makes it almost every time. It's the, it's the uh yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But he was really good. He was really good uh, attacking the basket yesterday too. So, yeah, it's you, you would like to see, I mean, we haven't we haven't mentioned Cam Reddish that much. Really if you can get Cam making Thirty-two percent of his, of his threes, which I think he's certainly capable of doing. Maybe finally having that one roll in yesterday, uh, and, and Cam was good with his free throws yesterday too. So that was a good sign. So maybe we can uh, we can have him being that uh, twelve, you know, fifteen point scorer next weekend, and that would be a big lift.
1: Yeah, if if we get if Cam Reddish gets into the mid teens, I'm I'm pretty sure this team's not losing.
3: Agree.
0: <laughs> All right, so. You got Trey, Jason, uh, Matt. Who do you got? Oh,
3: I would definitely, uh, I would have to say Goldwire for sure. I I told him yesterday in the uh, post game that he will always be a Duke legend for this weekend, and uh, I I stand by that. Just incredible job, bringing the energy, um, and yeah, I mean he's certainly worked himself into being a key player for us. I think so. Hey, hey Matt,
1: Matt, can I ask something about that? Uh, so the yeah. Carolina game in the final two or three minutes when when Goldwire is suffering from cramps. When I, literally, I, he he got a cramp when he hit that go-ahead basket. You know, the ball sort right, of right, the one, yeah. And he, yeah, he he picks it up and lays it in. I was like, okay, if you had if you had uh, Jordan Goldwire hitting the uh, game-winning shot against Carolina, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've I really.
3: That. I know I really wanted that to be the game winning shot like when when Carolina you know did get one after that I, was like, oh, I said to the guy next to me like I really wanted the, the game winning points to be by Goldwire it just like would have been appropriate but but, wait, um, but so
1: the, the thing I wanted to ask was were you as shocked as I was that Coach K wouldn't take him out? (laughs) I mean, I know. hobbled. And how did Carolina not just say, we are going after him, we are getting the ball to Cam Johnson, everyone else stand on the other side of the court, and let Cam take this guy one-on-one, the guy who can't walk?
3: Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, our hat's off to Roy for that one, Um, along with not calling the timeouts like uh, typical. I don't know. (laughs) Um. But yeah, for sure. Def- definitely uh Jordan,
0: 100%. My unsung hero is for me is Trey Jones because we've talked all season about how Trey Jones is the heart of this team. The the team themselves talk about how he's their engine, how he's the one that kind of makes everything go. And if he's on, then the rest of the team is, feels like they're unstoppable. Well, we had that Trey Jones in the ACC tournament and that's why we're ACC champions. So uh, for me, it, Trey Jones, uh, having him providing offense and and stellar defense passing the ball distributing the ball and doing the little things that he does that makes us successful that is why i think we are going to have a great tournament as long as we can keep him going there's no stopping it so trey jones is my unsung hero
1: and that brings us to parting shots
0: so jason i will go to you first
1: So I want to very, very quickly just talk about the All-ACC team. Actually, I have two parting shots. First, I'm going to talk about the All-ACC teams just really, really fast. There's not a lot to talk about this. I mean, we can all rant and rave about, uh, you know, folks who were wronged and things like that and how Coach K never wins Coach of the Year and, you know, oh, whatever. But there are two things about it that I was just like, really? So uh, someone gave a Player of the Year vote to Kai Bowman of Boston College. I, I think it was awful nice of the ACC to give Kai Bowman's mother one of the ballots and allow her to fill it out because I can't, there's absolutely <laughs> no other justification other than Kai Bowman's mother or grandmother or something like that filling out a, or, or girlfriend filling out a ballot. There's no way you can justify giving a player of the year vote to Kai Bowman. It's impossible. It's a, it's like a joke. And, uh, and then the other thing that was a joke was RJ Barrett was not unanimous first team, all Freshman ACC there are four voters. There are four voters who put together an ACC all-freshman team that didn't include the leading freshman scorer in ACC history. I want you to think about that for a second. There are four people, there are four people who have a vote for all ACC, and they said, here are the five best freshmen in the conference this year. Oh, that guy who scored more points than any freshman in ACC history not just this year, not just this desca- decade, any freshman in ACC history. That guy, he's not one of the five best freshmen in the ACC this year. That's ridiculous. That's just stupid. And I would love if the ACC would say, "Hey, you four guys and and by the way, you fifth person who voted for Kai Bowman, your your votes are gone. You're not allowed to vote anymore. You're clearly stupid. You're clearly not able to evaluate what's actually happening in the conference. So, your vote is gone. Bye-bye." And then the last thing I want for my parting shot, I wanted to mention, gentlemen, the best line ever from a post-game interview, ESPN's stupid, really bad, uninformative post-game interview from the end into the ACC tournament. I forget her name. I don't want to give her publicity, so I'm glad I'm not mentioning her name. She turns to Zion Williamson and she said, what's your mentality now that we're in the postseason? And Zion said two words. Zion said, killers kill. i love that i love that she goes what's your mentality now that you're in the postseason zion looks at her and he goes killers kill that's my parting shot baby killers kill duke's about to kill okay
0: thanks jason for that i I, I agree with you um some people are stupid and that's why we have votes like we have uh in in the acc all acc freshmen where some people decide to leave rj barrett off but if they want to be stupid that's their life um but matt what is your parting shot
3: um, yeah, I just wanted to—I think—throw uh, one more uh, accolade Zion's way about just uh, how uh, much candor and, and how humble he is. Because I got to uh, listen to him yesterday in the locker room when he's when, when he when he comes back into the locker room. First of all, from uh, being uh, there at the podium, um, he immediately you know calls out for uh, Mike Buckmeyer, his uh, his interview sidekick, and uh, you know Mike comes over there. Um, so that's yeah you know, that one thing just shows the uh the i don't know camaraderie on the team that you know the the last guy on the bench is always there next to you know the number one guy when he does his interviews but but Zion was talking um at the end about his mother and just kind of the role that she played in his uh time out and it was it was really touching and it's not something that I would think um just everybody especially you know, an eighteen year old who everybody is looking at would kind of open up about um but i definitely recommend uh kind of reading further there's a a few uh people wrote articles about it i'm looking at one now for the uh north state journal um nsj online and he just um he kind of said how when he was back in the the hallway um during the the you know shoe blowout unc game um he was trying to jog and he you know he just couldn't do it and his uh his stepdad comes in and then his, his mom comes in his mom's kind of, you know, it's going to be all right. And she told him that he'd be back. And you know, obviously we've, we've heard all the, uh, the opinions on whether he should or shouldn't have come back, but you can just see that he really enjoys playing with the, uh, with the, his brothers, as they would say. And, um, you know, I actually, they put out a a video on Thursday. I'm just remembering now that everybody should watch if they didn't, where he is kind of uh talking about just this thought process of like this is you know what people want to come this is what you want to come to do for for uh college basketball is you know he's ne- he was never going to sit out basically was like the gist of it and um just we we could all count ourselves lucky that uh you know we get to watch him and root for him as a uh, blue devil fans
1: oh man you are so right lucky i i've been i've said that to so many people the past few days uh I, i'm I'm both thrilled and excited for the tournament, of course, but there's a piece of me that's really sad because I know that our time, we're now you know, counting the days, the weeks. Um, at, at the most, six more games of watching Zion Williamson in a Duke uniform, and its it's been about the most fun of any player I can recall. Maybe, I, I feel like J.J. Reddick's senior year and, and some of those early Kyrie Irving games. Um, to me, those are the only, watching a, a Duke player where it was this much fun.
3: Agree, agree. And just to piggyback on that, I, I was saying to people that that uh one of the the bonuses of getting to play UNC on Friday with Zion was that if if it had come to pass where we hadn't we didn't get to um have either Zion nor Kyrie play against Carolina that would have just been a travesty so I'm so glad that that uh Zion came back and that we we got to beat UNC on Friday so that that could happen because you know we needed that
1: (laughs) amen amen so
0: my parting shot was going to deal a little bit with Zion you had talked about the the interview he where he talks about his emotions with his mom and stuff like that there's also just the fact that you know After that UNC loss at Chapel Hill, there's a quick clip of Zion walking off of the court with the rest of the team, and he's just shaking his head, and apparently he mumbles under his breath, and someone actually caught it. We'll see them. They'll see us next week. Well, UNC saw them, and we all know what happens, but this is the best time of the year, folks. This is March Madness. Now we are entering a, a, a situation where it's win or go home. We set our sights on a sixth national championship. But for me, you you guys have alluded to it a little bit earlier and throughout this podcast, and even during these parting shots, this team has been so fun to watch that I don't want it to end. I, this is one of the first years in a long time where I, I not only hope we have all six games where we're cutting down the nets in Minneapolis, but I want like 11 more or just, just a few more because this team has been so much fun to watch from Zion Williamson to RJ Barrett to Trey Jones. Um, I, I stress to all of you, this, these next few weeks are going to
1: be a wild ride. So buckle up. But I – and, I, and, and, I, and you, Sorry, I was going to say, and, and the most remarkable thing about all of it is, and Sam alluded to this earlier, it, in some ways it's been one of the most surprising seasons in terms of player personnel that we've ever seen. I mean, think about, think about the guys who've had moments, had hero moments this year. Uh, Jack White, as great as Jack was, the first couple months of the season, Alex O'Connell had a huge game against Syracuse, and 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 played really well when Zion went down. Jordan Goldwire, like out of nowhere, if I mean, if you told me that Jordan Goldwire would be playing huge minutes against UNC in the ACC semifinals, I would have said, "How many Duke players died in the plane crash?" I mean, it's, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like I, uh, again yeah. and again we've seen it. These guys who who you wouldn't expect. To have a big role, uh, you know, Javin out rebounding seven foot four Chris Kumaji again and again and again to win the ACC title for us. I mean, Javin was so important in that game. I feel terrible. We haven't talked about him enough. Yeah,
3: definitely. Definitely props uh, so, to Javin for yesterday.
1: So let me, let me, because yeah, there's sorry. A part finish, I want to finish.
3: stress.
0: Yeah. You got me right in the middle of it. But I apologize. The, the thing that I need everybody to understand out there is that I stress to you, enjoy this. Enjoy this entire ride that we're on, as long as it goes. It could end on Friday, it could end on April 8th, but enjoy it as long as we have it. We all hope we're the team left at the end, of course, but I really just don't want the season to end because it has been so much fun to watch all of these guys play. So let's go banner hunting, but let's all have fun while we do it. So Matt, before we get out of here, why don't you tell the people where they can find you on the internet or on the radio or otherwise?
3: Sure. Yeah. Um yeah, WXDU.org is the uh, radio station for the, or sorry, is the website for the the station. Um and our show is on Sundays at six p.m. Um next Sunday I'm actually gonna be in uh, Los Angeles on uh, my kids' spring break and hopefully I'll get to watch our uh, our Sunday game in LA, and do a uh, maybe do like how you guys do with the uh, the conference calls over the uh, the interwebs. But um, we also have a WXDU Sports as our uh, Twitter. That my co-host uh, Angelo is the uh, the main one that runs that, and um, yeah, we do, we usually tweet out photos um, from either the locker room or also in the shootarounds, and you know those are always. Kind of candid and, and fun, so yeah thanks for uh, having me on and um, yeah
0: and, and tell us go. tell us the Twitter handles just so oh, oh
3: yeah WXTU sports is uh, is what it is just like that all together
0: all right there it is guys and uh, that will do it for episode 153 of the DBR podcast we'd like to thank all of you guys out there for tuning in I know this is kind of on the long side, but of course we had to talk about a lot of stuff so uh, we're, we're glad you're still here at the end uh, thank you Matt for joining us uh, and for Sam. Who is somewhere in the friendly skies above Virginia right now? For Jason down in Atlanta, I am Donald in DC. We will check you guys out probably after the first round matchup is concluded. Uh, at some point, we will probably do a preview uh, of the second game. But uh, until then, let's have some fun, ladies and gentlemen. It's March Madness, Duke Band. Take